and welcome to the Victory Podcast. I'm your host, Monique Watson. On this episode, I sat down with Rod Gilmore of ESPN, a longtime family friend, and uh, we talked a bit about how he got into the world of sports broadcasting, a bit about his personal background, and also how he's been living with cancer and some of his tips for the others um, to both getting to broadcasting as well as living with uh, medical challenges. I hope you enjoy it. So welcome to the Victory Podcast. I'm your host, Monique Watson, and I have the fantastic, amazing pleasure to have a wonderful uh, professional in the world of broadcasting, I would say, in sports broadcasting. So I bow down to your to your prowess, and thank you for spending some time with us, um, Mr. Rod Gilmore. How are you doing, Mr. Rod? I'm doing well, Monique. You're far too kind, but thanks for having me. <laughs> No, I mean, like people who do this as a like, this is a hobby at this point for me um, and people who kind of talk for a living, I bow into you, especially sports broadcasting with all the research and all the things and stats and numbers and information, re- all the studying you got to do just before the game. Uh, can't even imagine. We'll get into it. Yeah, so uh, just for the folks listening, I'll give a bit of an outline where we're going to go today with Mr. Gilmore. Um, We'll start off a little introduction about how we know each other, and then we'll get into a bit about um, some of his personal and professional background. I've already alluded to his time in broadcasting and a bit around that. And then um, if he feels comfortable, we'll get into some of his um, personal challenges around his battle with cancer and sort of how he's been coping with that and sort of any tips or information around getting into broadcasting and all that kind of stuff and information for other folks and then close out with any social media or anything upcoming events or anything that he's got going on. So Mr. Rod, I'm going to call you Mr. Rod because I just can't like, I don't know, it's the the New Orleans in me that can't like. You've you've always called me Mr. Rod. (laughs) I know I can't not just like my dad was on and I called him dad the whole interview. I just can't be like, I can't, I can't do it. It's just, it would be too hard sound inorganic. So maybe we can give the folks a little bit of background about um, how we know each other. Well, I, um, I, I had the pleasure of having uh, a great roommate in college, um, and that was your dad. <laughs> uh, Troy and I were, were roommates back at Stanford and um, uh, just, you know, got along great and have had a, a good close relationship uh, ever since, um, you know, my, my family, my mother in particular considers, uh, Troy, a, a son. Um, and I don't know if he ever told you about it, but he went to my, uh, sister's prom with her, uh, no. when she was a high school senior. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, so yeah, it was adorable. And so, you know, so he was since, uh, since my home, uh, was 45 minutes away from Stanford, um, and home for him was New Orleans, you know, if, if he didn't go home at a break or anything, he came home with me. So, um, he got to spend quite a bit of time with, uh, with my sisters and my parents. And, um, you know, and I returned the favor whenever I got to New Orleans, not as frequently, obviously. Um, but, uh, but we're good friends and, um, naturally, uh, the kids came along. So I uh, got to, to meet and know the kids uh, because of my relationship with your dad. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that is, that's amazing sort of um, 
to stay so connected. A lot of times you have, I don't know, I've had, I had some good roommates in college for sure, but we've sort of just gone in different directions, not any like one fallout, but it's, it's great that you all um, stayed connected from Stanford. That was so many <laughs> number of years ago. Uh, um, we won't count them out for the people, um, but you know, I'll just put the math together. I'm 33. So it's greater than that number of years. We'll just put yeah. that out there. <laughs> well, it'll, it'll become clear as we talk about my background. No doubt. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So let's jump straight into that. Tell us a bit about, so um, your background and sort of what you do kind of, and how you got into that world of sports broadcasting. Well, um, I was a, a two sport athlete at Stanford. I played uh, football and baseball. Um, what positions? The, uh, I was a defensive back um, in football, uh, corner in particular, and uh, an outfielder in baseball. Um, and I usually get, uh, I get two questions come up all the time when people say, oh, you, you play football at Stanford. There are two questions that come up and they came up in every imaginable situation. I mean, uh, years after I left and uh, interviewing for, uh, for jobs in the legal profession, uh, interviews, uh, meeting people, same two questions always came up. First one was, so were you on the field when that five lateral play happened with Cal and the band was on the field and uh, one of the most iconic plays in college football? That's the first question. And the, the answer to that is that was my last college game. And um, uh, I was probably on the field with about a couple of hundred other players, <laughs> all illegally on the field. Um, so, yeah. And then the second question is often, do you know John Elway? <laughs> and the answer is, yeah, we were teammates for four years. <laughs> that's cool. That's really and so, cool. Yeah. So, so that's, that's sort of the background. So that, um, you know, folks, those are the questions that come up. Um, and I sort of um, uh, knew that as a, uh, as an athlete, I, I wasn't going to have a long professional career or much of a professional career, you know, like a John Elway. Um, I had um, applied to law school um, my senior year and then got talked into coming back to Stanford to play uh, my fifth year for football. And um, uh, Cal Berkeley allowed me to defer law school for a year. So I went back and played. You went over to Berkeley from Stanford? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just for folks' context, that is like, that is a, that is a major Bay Area school rivalry rivalry yeah. um i know many people do at the end of the day it's sort of like yeah. school to school and they're both great institutions but it's just funny because that cal berkeley that berkeley i'm sorry berkeley stanford games and stuff are like yeah all that well all you know it it's it. it's it's a fascinating rivalry in the sense that um when it comes to athletics uh and you're on the field they're, they're just there's no love <laughs> i mean they're, they're just there just isn't just um, out there for every play. Just let's right. go. But there's a lot of cross pollinization when you talk about the academic world, because there's so much uh, respect between the two universities. Uh, so it's pretty common to find 
uh, people with degrees from both places. Um, yeah. You know, they're both elite universities. So um, I was um, uh, looking to stay in California if possible with law school. And um, once I got into to Cal, I was like, well, you know, the only other place I would go would be Stanford. And um, that might cost a, a bit too much. You know, you get used to being on scholarship and you don't think you have to pay for anything, right? You know, like, like, <laughs> they want me to pay how much to go to school Yes, here? Stanford yeah. tuition is, I, I mean, I'm no sure, no joke, still no, no joke. joke today. So, no joke. yeah. Yeah, so, so yeah, so I went to school uh, over at Cal, um, for Cal Berkeley for law school. And um, uh, that was sort of my, my track and my goal was to, uh, to become a lawyer for a sports team or a league. Uh, you know, naive me, I thought, well, you, you just, you go and you get your degree and then, you know, you apply and there you are, you get to do that. <laughs> That's not the way it works. You know, <laughs> um, I found out that, you know, it's a, it is a very, very closed system mm. and it is who you know uh, for getting those jobs. There, you know, just a few of them. And when you talk about teams, uh, those decisions are made by the owners who bought the team. And usually they have a relationship with, you know, lawyers, some friends or a firm or so. Um, and that makes it a lot harder. And it's sort of the same situation when you talk about any of the leagues, you know, Major League Baseball, the National Football League, all those things. Uh, that's really difficult. So um, I went to work for a law firm in, in Los Angeles um, that specialized in entertainment and sports and um, was advised by um one of the senior partners there, look, you know, we know what your goal is. The best thing you can do is become the best lawyer that you can be. Just embrace the grind, become really, really good. You'll get some opportunities and some things. And then, you know, you, if you get lucky, a client buys a team or we do work for a team and they notice your work and, you know, you get pulled in. And, that yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. Um, so, um, uh, that never happened. <laughs> uh, I, I think in all, in, in all the years I pursued it, I had one serious interview with one team uh, that um, I thought might work out, but it didn't work out. So other than that, um, I was sort of on the outside of the sports world. Um, and um, I got into uh, broadcasting simply by chance. Um, I had a friend who had done broadcasting at uh, Stanford. He had done the Stanford football games when I was a player there. And he had a, a, a talk sports talk show uh, in San Francisco. And he would call me up every now and then and say, hey, why don't you come on the show? I've got a, a sports law issue and I think you could help us understand it better. I said, great. No problem. So I did that for a while. And then um, at some point he got a chance to do some local games live and he called me and said listen I, I get to pick who I want in the booth with me do you mind doing you know this uh, little St. Mary's Santa Clara baseball game with me I said ah sure I'm free this weekend it'll work so did that and 
it was fun. And then the next year, um, it became a thing in the Bay Area to have the local colleges have their games on locally, either live or tape delayed. And uh, each of the schools got to weigh in on who could be in the booth. Right. And the, the one criteria was, well, they had to have some experience doing broadcasting. And uh, my name was put in at Stanford. And they're like, well, he's got experience. He's been doing this, <laughs> these games in the Bay Area. So um, cool. I was you know, probably the only person who had any experience. So I got the job. And so for the next couple of years, I did you know, Stanford and Stanford football games, uh, occasionally a San Jose State game. And then a couple of years after that, I got a phone call from the Pac-12, uh, prime ticket, they held the Pac-12 rights and they were doing the Pac-12 game of the week. And they asked me to join them. And so I did and did that for a couple of years, worked with some really, really great people, um, had a lot of fun. And then I got a phone call out of the blue a couple of years later from ESPN um, asking me if I was interested and um, working for them, I had to go back for an audition. True story, um, uh, almost never happened because uh, I was you know, working as a lawyer and they wanted me to come by, uh, fly out to Connecticut from California um, on a Wednesday evening for a Thursday morning interview. And I told them it didn't work for my schedule and they said, well, this is the only day we're doing the audition. So if you can't make it, can't make it. Thanks for participating. <laughs> and, wow. and so I went home and I told my wife and I, and I said, look, you know, they're not that serious. So I'm not going to waste my time. And uh, she said, you will go. Because <laughs> you got a good wife. You will go <laughs> if for no other reason, I want you to go and tell me what the place looks like. I need a report on the buildings, on the studio, you know, and you, you might as well just go and get someone to cover for you at work, but go. It's like, okay, fine, I'll go. And so I, I decided to go and it was a horrible travel schedule. I mean, it was a late flight turned into a red eye. I didn't get to Connecticut until like five in the morning or so. I had an eight o'clock interview um, you know, so I'm just like, you know, you know, not too happy about any of it. So, uh, the, the first guy I, I go in to meet with, who's making the hiring decision, a guy by the name of Mo Davenport, who ran college, uh, football, uh, he retired a couple of years ago, uh, sit down with him and he says, so why should we hire you? <laughs> I said, seriously? I'm trying to figure out why I would want to work for a place like this that just put me through this one. You said, take it or leave it, you know, come out for the audition or we're no longer interested. And then you wouldn't let me change my flights. I got here at five o'clock in the morning. You know, it's eight o'clock now. I barely had time to run to my hotel room, take a shower and get here. Haven't had any sleep. And the first question from you is, why, why should we hire you? I'm trying to figure out why I would want to work for a place like this that treats its people this way. <laughs> He, he said, touche, we start all over, my apologies. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that was it. Uh, you know, we chatted, I did an audition with Charlie Steiner, 
um, who is, I think Charlie is now doing play, play by play for the Dodgers, I believe. Um, and they hired me and um, I started doing uh, Big Ten games on ESPN2 in 1996 and in 1998, 99, 2000, I believe, I moved over to do studio shows, um, pregame, postgame, um, and then all day Saturday. Uh, and then from 2001 through now, uh, I've done a mixture of studio shows um, and about 20 college football games a season. Uh, when you include uh, bowl games and the like. So that's kind of been the, uh, the schedule, the routine. Uh, this, I guess this will be my 26th year um, at ESPN. And wow. the, plan, the plan going in was, well, we'll do two or three years of this and then we'll, we'll move on. Just give so, a little flavor, you know, mix it yeah. up. Something like a talk about at parties, <laughs> yeah. whatever. 26 years later, here we go. <laughs> Exactly. That's awesome. That's kind of an interesting path because I think a lot of people would assume that one of two things, unless you're like, you know, Tony Romo or some of those where they're just like, please, right. please, please come. Whatever. It doesn't matter if you're good or not. I right. um, Oh, God, what was the the other guy that was from Dallas that went back to the sport now for the Cowboys? Well, Troy Aikman is out there, too. Troy Aikman's out there. No, it was it was. um. The tight um oh, Jason uh, Witten. Jason Witten, yes. Oh Lord Jesus, praise it. Just because well, you know, the thing, the thing for Jason, um I feel like he was you know, trying. Well, too hard. It, that's a that's a tough, tough deal. Um, and I don't think people really realize it and understand it to go from not broadcasting to that chair. That uh, seems with like the a most big eyeballs. Yeah, that is a huge leap. Uh, you know, John Gruden and uh, John Madden both had experience doing games at a lower level before yeah. sitting in that Monday night chair. Yeah. So it's it's hard. You know, most of I us get surprised that he even made. Well, I get it from a name recognition makes sense to kind of go sure. from there to there. Yeah. But I thought the same thing. I was like, has he ever had maybe I was like, maybe I don't know, maybe some like high school, college, kind of on the side experience or something like that. But yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I just think if he'd had a, a season uh, to, to work other games other than that game, um, it probably would have worked out a little bit better. Yep. Yep. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I think that's, but yeah, as I was saying, um, such an interesting path Um because I think some people assume that, you know, either you're hardcore into broadcasting, you sort of always wanted to do that kind of background. Mm -hmm. And that's how you end up and ESPN becomes Mecca for that, or you're an athlete and that sort of dovetails well, but you sort of have a blend of that with the athlete background, but then kind of with the law thing and sort yeah. of the interesting kind you know, of yeah. path. Well, um, so there are, there are a handful of us at ESPN um, who have the sports and, and law background. I mean, Jay Billis um, is also a lawyer and has been a practicing lawyer um, almost as long as, as, as I've been. And um, 
you know, there, there are some other folks um, uh, at ESPN who have that kind of background as well. And the other thing that's kind of interesting or unique is that usually the former player um, who gets into the booth is, is the guy who won the Super Bowl. He was a Heisman Trophy winner, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that sort of changed um, in some instances. I mean, so I think, you know, Kirk Herbstreet was not um, a, a college All-American or anything like that. Uh, and neither was I, you know, at Stanford. I mean, we were, you know, both, you know, good players and the like and all that kind of good stuff. But, you know, we weren't household names across the country. Uh, but ESPN looked beyond that and in, in hiring, you know, Kirk and, and, and myself and a couple of other people. And um, it's just sort of interesting that, um, you know, uh, we've been able to stick around as long as we have. Um, I mean, there, there's certainly folks with bigger names, higher profiles who've, you know, come and gone. Uh, but I, I think, you know, it's like anything. You have to embrace the grind. There is a grind involved in any line of work that you do. And those who believe that broadcasting is as simple as showing up and uh, just always shooting off the cuff, um, it doesn't really work that way. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think um, some other tips? So embracing the grind, what are some other tips for those if they're thinking, you know, they're watching Monday night football and they're like, forget the folks on the field. That's cool. I want to do that. I want to be that that person. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's great. You know, um, I I didn't have that thought, you know, when, when, when I got into it, that's not what I was looking for, but I, I do know this. I know that it's not easy to get into the business. It's not easy to get breaks. There's just so much competition out there. First and foremost, I would say that, um, you know, if you are in high school and you're thinking about it, uh, you should be looking at colleges that have good broadcasting programs, good journalism programs. Um, You'll get some uh, opportunities to try some things and do some things. Uh, on campus that will help you and get you a leg up and there will be a connection to um, networks and stations across the country. Uh, And quite honestly, some of these colleges, they have studio setups that are equal to or better than some of the networks. It is, it's totally amazing. So Mm -hmm. if there's, if, if that's, if that's something that you're interested in and you're in high school, you should, you should be looking into that. You know, if you're in, in college, um, you know, you definitely, you know, should seek that out if you can, if you don't have it there, uh, you have to try and do anything. I mean, search for the internships. Uh, if you can find internships, uh, start anywhere, do anything. Um, I would say the, the other advice I give folks Uh, who are in college is that, look, um, there's some broadcasting going on on your campus, whether ESPN is showing up, you know, or TNT or Fox or NBC, whoever, someone is showing up, or there is a local TV station that is doing something. When they show up to do things, make yourself available, get over there and volunteer, be a runner, get the coffee, drive people around, you know, and whatever that low job is that you get, do it great. 
because it may not look like people are paying attention, but they are. And when you do that well, the next time they're around, it's like, hey, why don't we give her more responsibility? She can handle blah, blah, blah. And then the next thing you know, you're not only on their list, now you have your own list of producers, directors that you can reach out to. Hey, are you guys doing any more things in this area? I'm willing to drive a couple hours to help out on another show. Hey, can you put in a word for me with blah, 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 whatever. But, but just showing up and doing those things uh, can help you get your foot in the door. I've actually seen that happen uh, where people have gotten um, their start because they volunteered and helped out around the production of a show and they get called back regularly and then they apply for a job at ESPN and they get hired and all of a sudden, you know, they, they're, they're in the business. Um, and, I, and the other part I, to that, I would say is if you if you're in a position where you can get some practice and create your own reel, whether it's from, you know, high school, junior college or at college, uh, or if you're uh, doing an internship or helping out, uh, don't be afraid to say, hey, can I sit at the studio desk and uh, try a little 20 second uh, in, uh, intro? Can I can I cut this and keep it for my reel or so? Just get some practice, you know, and most folks are very supportive uh, and encouraging of that so that you can do that and see what it feels like uh, to have someone in your ear talking to you, uh, trying to count down, uh, count you in and out of a break um, and get a real sense of what 10 seconds means, 15 seconds means, you know, without having to count it yourself, you just kind of know. So that sort of thing. So if you can, if you can get any of those things done, uh, do them, do them. Absolutely. No, that's, it's, I think so important. And that's true. I think for anyone going into any profession, um, you know, especially things that are very competitive, right. Um, always embrace the grind. I mean, I think, I think that's probably something y'all learned at Stanford because it feels very similar to my, some of my dad's things he's taught me, um, (laughs) of that idea is like, look, all you need is a toe in the door and you're just going to go in there and outwork everybody there. And that's, that's the key. And people see that and they see when people aren't working as well. Um, So totally a thing. I think the other thing I would tell folks is, um, you know, be persistent. Don't get discouraged easily. If you're passionate about something and, and it's broadcasting, just hang in there and keep going after it because, you know, lots of phone calls come in, you know, lots of tapes come in, you know, lots of resumes come in and they may not get looked at right away or they may get tossed, but um, you you have to stick with it, not give up easily um, because a lot of people do, they give up, they go, ah, that didn't happen for me. So I'm done, you know? So you have to show that, it's something that you are really committed to. And it isn't just one of these, I'm trying to find myself. This sounds kind of fun. Gee, they didn't look at me. So I'm moving on. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Very good advice for sure. So to switch gears a little bit. So you talked a bit about, you've been since the early mid nineties broadcasting and sort of doing your thing and 
hitting a flow and, and then in the more recent um, past, you sort of in present, should I say, is this, this uh, personal health challenges that you've come into. Um, I don't know how comfortable you feel like about talking about it. I know I've seen a couple things online that you've talked a bit about it. Um, would you like to sure. share a bit for the folks? Yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable talking about it because um, I, I do have a goal in mind. <laughs> you know, um, I, I want people to be uh, more aware of cancer and the various types of cancers. Uh, I want people to be more aware of just how important annual physicals are, um, because when you take your annual physicals, you give yourself a fighting chance if something is discovered. Uh, when you don't do that, usually it's discovered too late and there's not much you can do about it. And in my case, um, I was diagnosed in uh, 2016 with a blood cancer uh, known as multiple myeloma. Uh, and not many people know about it. As a matter of fact, I will tell you this, when the doctor told me this, uh, I kind of looked at him like, okay, whatever, what is that? <laughs> and what's it mean? Um, and I hadn't been feeling badly at all. I had no symptoms. There was nothing bothering me. It was just an annual physical. Annual physical, doing your thing, just kind of. Yeah. Wham, and, bam, here yeah. we go. And he said, look, you know, the, the blood work shows that you've got multiple myeloma. And he says, it's a blood cancer. Um, and um, we got to get you started on some kind of treatment or so. And he's like, I can't do it. You know, you're going to need an oncologist and you know, there's a lot more stuff that goes into it. So, you know, th those are words that you never want to hear. You have cancer. Um, it's always, you know, it's, it's shocking and your immediate, my immediate reaction was, okay, um, what does this mean? Um, how do I tell my wife? How do I tell my kids? How do I get more information about this? What's it mean for my working life? And, you know, trying to get information about it, it's, you know, you're like drinking from a fire hose. I mean, there's just so much to know and to absorb. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that it's really challenging. But I, I will tell you this and, and try to make this a little bit easier for your listeners. Um, it's multiple myeloma is a blood cancer. It is the um, second uh, most common blood cancer behind leukemia. Yeah. Uh, there are about 130,000 folks uh, living with multiple myeloma uh, right now. Uh, there is no cure for it right now, um, but I will say that the treatments that have been approved by the FDA in the last 10, 15 years uh, have been really, really great, and they're extending the lives of patients, and they've created a fair amount of, of hope uh, that there is a cure um, in the not-too-distant future, and if not a, not a cure then maybe enough treatments to turn this into a chronic disease um, like asthma or so. Mm. And uh, the, the really important thing I think for, for all people dealing with cancer is that the improvements that have been done um, treating multiple myeloma um, suggest that 
it may have some applicability to other forms of cancer. And you know, you've probably heard about you know, immunotherapy and all the work that's being done uh, on that front. Uh, and it's just utterly amazing. And there are a number of clinicals uh, going on where, geez, you know, it's, it's like science fiction where they take your stem cells out, they put a weapon on these stem cells, they put them back in and they go attack the cancer, you know? So there are all these things that are going on that, um, that may have some applicability to every other type of cancer. So, uh, so research is really going, going well. Uh, and we're all hopeful that something like that will happen, um, in the not too distant future. For most of us with multiple myeloma, um, it is a roller coaster. You have periods of remission and then relapse. So there is this constant up and down um, journey with it, um, if you will. And the other thing that you know I didn't know and most people don't know is that uh, multiple myeloma hits the black community, black Americans twice as often as white Americans. Mm. Uh, and nobody knows the reason for that. Nobody knows why. Um, and it creates a little bit of a problem in the sense that you have these clinicals where we don't have enough Black Americans participating. So you don't know how, how skewed the results are from these clinicals and how they apply uh, to, to us. Um, so I, I, I think that that's one thing for people to kind of understand is, you know, it's, it's a significant cancer. Uh, it doesn't get talked about an awful lot. And it certainly doesn't get talked about in the black community a lot uh, and trying to get the word out about it. And then, you know, really just trying to get the word out that the annual physical is so important. Um, you know, my own experience, most of my male friends, <clears throat> have never felt good about having an annual physical and they blow it off. I feel fine. I don't need to go see a doc, you know, and I've had a half dozen friends uh, over the last couple of years tell me, yeah, well, after you told me about your experience, uh, I've been doing annual physicals now. I'm like, that's the way to go. That's the way to go. Give yourself a fighting chance. That's so important as a, I don't know if you know, my background is in public health and it all, for me, it sometimes boggles my mind personally of not going to get a physical. It's one thing if you're like challenged in having access to healthcare, that's sort of right. its own bucket. But for those who are not and then just don't go, I feel fine. So I thank you for your continued efforts, even if it's at a small or whatever scale it is um, to encourage people um, to get their physicals. It's so important, especially the older we get. Um, the more kind of potential things that come up into situations. And the, once again, like you said, the, the earlier you intervene, um, you give yourself a chance to, to identify those things. So do you think some of, I'm just pick your brain about this um, as you brought it up. Um, do you think some of the challenges with, um, is it with your male friends specifically, do you think it's, it, is it more of, 
um, the lack of awareness to the, a potential like like sort of a having you know multiple myeloma or a fear or is it kind of this manhood sort of thing like if I feel fine I don't need to go see a doctor or where where are you what are your thoughts there or some oh, mixture I, maybe <clears throat> you know I I don't know <clears throat> excuse me specifically but I, I just anecdotally you know talking you know, to, uh, to friends. I mean, there's, there is some fear, Hey, doctor's going to find something wrong with you. That's, that's what they do, you know? And, and I don't want to know about that. I'll, if, if I feel bad, I'll deal with it, but I don't feel bad. You know, um, there, there's a lot of that. Um, I had one friend, uh, say to me, look, you know, my, my father lived to be, you know, 93. He never went to see a doctor. It's in my genes. I don't need to go see a doctor, you know? Uh, we, we just don't do that, you know? So I, I've heard all kinds of excuses, you know, and I, I never really thought about it because as an athlete through college and the like, I was always getting physicals and uh, my wife made me promise before we got married that there would be an annual physical. And I, I said, well, that's easy. I don't mind committing to that. I've been getting them, you know, Done pretty much all my life. That's easy, you know? So, mm -hmm. and, um, it was, it was never an issue. It was just always on the calendar, you know? So there you go. But yeah, it's, it is a, it is an issue. And I don't know that we, we know the exact reason why men in particular, uh, are somewhat hesitant and that goes across, uh, racial lines, um, that, uh, that men are less likely uh, to get annual physicals. So. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm sure there's studies being done, if not already, that are, that we can look up. And if I find some, I'll link some in the show notes. Yeah, yeah it's just an interesting conceptually of, of that. And um, yeah. Um, what do you think the hardest thing has been as you've been battling multiple myeloma um, for you? <clears throat> hmm. It's a good question. Um, I think I, I decided uh, early on that, um, that, that cancer wins when you stop living and when you give up the things that you enjoy. Mm -hmm. that, that's, that's the first loss. And then it's, it's downhill from, from there. So for me, uh, I've never thought about having cancer as a battle. I, I need to beat cancer. Mm -hmm. I've, I've never looked at it that way. Okay. I've always looked at it in terms of how do I live with cancer? That's, that's always, I'm not trying to beat cancer. I'm just trying to live with it because I want, I wanted to do, um, continue doing the things that I enjoy doing. And I was not going to compromise that. And for me, that meant, um, I want things to remain as normal as possible. I want to continue practicing law. I want to continue uh, working in broadcasting, calling college football games. I want to keep um, a, a very active exercise, excuse me, routine, um, which I've, I've done all my life. I didn't want to all of a sudden go, well, I can't do that anymore, you mm -hmm. know? So mm -hmm. that, that's gone by the wayside. So, um, 
that's sort of been my approach. And I, look, I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm, I'm happy to have cancer, but I will say that it has impacted my outlook on things. Yeah. Um, I, I'm much more intentional um, about everything, um, about the time I spend with people, uh, about the time I spend alone. Um, I, I'm much more intentional about uh, believing every day it's my choice to find some joy and celebrate that in that day, even if it's, you know, a workout and I got to do burpees and I hate burpees, Ugh. but I, I'm, I'm finding the joy <laughs> in the fact that, you know, Hey, I finished that. I did that, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I have a little mantra for myself each day that, you know, pushes me. It's, it's just uh, fight like hell. And it's also not today cancer. So uh, even on days when I have treatment, um, I come home and I do a workout. Um, and that is for the sole purpose of telling myself and telling my mind, I did not give up a day. I didn't lose a day, you know, and if I'm feeling crappy, it's not because of the chemo. I'm feeling crappy because I pushed myself in the workout. So, you know, you, you, you do these things or I do them anyway, because like I said, I'm trying to live with it. I'm not trying to, to beat it. And I want to keep doing the things that bring me joy in my life, you know? So uh, I, I think, you know, uh, from talking to other cancer patients, one of the things that really, you know, bothers you is that you don't want to be defined by right. having cancer. You know, um, we understand that it's uncomfortable uh, for friends and family and people to ask how you doing, how you feel or, or so, but, you know, by and large, you know, certainly for me, I'm, I'm comfortable with, with that question. And I realize that it's, it's, it's close on someone's, you know, tongue at the front or back. That it's something they want to ask about, you know, um, and I try to make them feel comfortable asking about it. Um, you know, but but you also want people to remember and treat you like the person that you were before you got your diagnosis. Diagnosis, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, yeah, that you're just not. Well, there goes Rod. Yeah, he's 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 got cancer. He's the cancer guy. Yeah. yeah. So. No, you're much more than that, Mr. Rod. You're fantastic broadcaster. Wonderful husband. Sounds like with amazing wife. Wonderful kids rock star human being, all the things. You are far, far too kind. <laughs> oh, I know you better than these folks will, but you, you know, you are a fantastic human being. Anything as we sort of close that um, I'll be sharing some information about multimyeloma, any, any organizations you want to shout out or upcoming games you're in a call so people can tune in anything you want to share. Yeah. Thanks. I, I would be remiss if, uh, if I didn't mention the Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation. Um, if, if you know someone uh, with multiple myeloma or, or if you're, you know, connected to someone with that, going to that website, mmrf.org, is a great place uh, to start. And just a quick story about the Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation. Uh, the woman who started it um, 
uh, is named Kathy Giusti. And I met Kathy through a friend um, after I was diagnosed. And, and he said, listen, uh, she knows more about multiple myeloma than anyone in the country. And I said, seriously? He said, yeah, she is. And he says, let me tell you a story about her. And the story is that she was diagnosed with multiple myeloma when her daughter was three years old. Mm. And the doctors told her that if she lived long enough to see her daughter graduate from kindergarten, that she should be happy. That would be a good outcome. Wow. And so when Kathy went in for her first treatment, she found that the treatment was the same that her grandfather had received three decades before. And she was alarmed by that. And she'd had some experience in, in the pharmaceutical business. Uh, she's an incredibly bright person. And she said, well, this won't do. And so she went to work trying to figure out why there had not been any improvements in treatment in all this time. And what she found out was that the pharmaceutical companies and the research hospitals weren't talking to each other. Uh, companies that had data weren't sharing their data. And so she said, well, we're going to break through these walls. So she raised a bunch of money and got them in a room and said, okay, so we're going to split up the money. This is how you're going to share information. This is how you're going to have clinicals so that we can all benefit from this. And then we can go to the FDA and get new treatments, get exactly. things done. Yeah. Um, and that happened. And over a period of 12, 13 years, uh, 10 new treatments were approved by the FDA. Wow. And I'm pleased to say that a year ago, Kathy watched her daughter graduate from Boston College. Oh. How cool is that? That's awesome. Yeah. And so what, what the Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation does is doggedly pursue a cure for each and every patient. That's the sole mission. That's what they do. And it's driven by her. Awesome. Yeah. That's a fantastic story. And I'll definitely be linking the foundation link. I found it and I'll, that'll be in the show notes for people to check out and donate and, you know, stay abreast and do what all that they can to connect and like make this more of a thing so that people know about it. Um, that they do their physicals to try and identify it as soon as possible and all of that. Woo. Tell you what, wow. I almost, I almost had the tears going. You said the graduation. I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. I'm yeah. not crying. You're crying. <laughs> You're not human. If it doesn't touch you. No, it should. I think it's so important to hear stories. Um, and that's really the premise of this podcast is the idea of people being victorious I know you mentioned not battling cancer, but living with it. But the idea of that everyone goes through something and a lot of times you can feel like you're in this silo and you're the only person that's ever experienced that, even if it's not the exact same, maybe it's some other illness or maybe some other challenge. And to, to share these stories of people, you know, living with and triumphing over and kind of not letting it get them down can be inspiring to other people. And that's really, really what we're here to do. So Thank you so much for your time today. 
And I will um, I just thank you for, for sharing and being very candid and lots of great information, both professionally. I'm sure we'll have some next runner up uh, people coming for your seat on the broadcasting booth. As they should. Um, <laughs> we need that next wave coming through. Exactly. Exactly. A lot of great folks that way. And then a lot of inf- great, useful information to to inform folks about this and sharing the importance of getting your physicals and doing all that you can um, to look for and, and battle whatever it is and that we can give yourself a fighting chance, period, point blank. Listen, thanks so much for having me. Um, it's, it's just been an enjoyable conversation. Um, I think this is a great platform. I think it does a lot of good. Um, you know, and what's next for me is, is really just sort of, um, you know, football, college football season is a few months off, so I won't be on TV for a couple more months here. Uh, but there's still a lot going on and you can catch me on Twitter, uh, rendering my opinion on, you know, the, the, the current big issue right now is athlete empowerment and players getting, uh, well, recognizing their voices and controlling their careers a little bit more, whether you're looking at the, the NFL, the NBA or major league baseball, and it's yeah. found its way into the college environment. Uh, I'm, I'm. Where, no, where do you stand on that on that issue about like college players being paid? Do you have a, a oh, official well, comment that you or maybe yeah. maybe we talk offline if you can't allow? I don't no, know. No, no, no. I, stuff. I, I, I've been pretty open about this. Um, I, I think um, I think players should be able to share in the revenue that's generated. I think at a minimum, uh, they should have full control of their name, image and likeness. And if a third party wants to pay them uh, for that, that. um, I think so be it. And it ought to be subject to the marketplace without restrictions by the schools. Um, There is a case to be made that um, they should be allowed to share uh, part of the TV revenues and the like. I get that. And I understand that. I think that's going to be a harder uh, goal to achieve because I think uh, universities are going to fight the issue of having players deemed uh, employees. And I think for them, that's the third rail, uh, not just because of uh, workers comp, but because if they're employees, they could be responsible for any actions that players take off the field, off the campus. Right. And, All the liability that goes with yeah, that people yeah. work, so, working for the university yeah. or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's going to be the harder issue, but I fully believe that the system uh, is completely out of whack. Um, and, you know, the, the whole business model of taking money from basketball and football uh, to make wealthy what is s- seriously a 90 plus percent white administration, ath- athletic administration, or 90 percent uh, coaching uh, fraternity, that that's just, that's just wrong. And if they want to use that money to cover and pay for other non-revenue sports, um, you're, you're basically taking, you've got a model where the money ordinarily would be available for the players who are generating it, and you're using it to cover field hockey, wrestling, all these other yep. things. And my view is simply that if those sports are important to the university, the university ought to pay for them. Yep. They, they, ought to, they ought to do it. And not at the expense of, of these student athletes. Exactly. That's, that's, that's my view. Um, 
anyway, so I, I think there are a few people um, who um, support that. Uh, there is a huge Supreme Court case that will be argued uh, later this month um, on part of that issue. And so we'll see. There are a lot of bills uh, coming out of a lot of different states and some states have adopted bills basically allowing players to have name, image, and likeness. Uh, Congress is going to do something at some point. There are a number of bills pending there, but um, the, the system is changing and it should change. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of those advocating for that change. Awesome. Fantastic. Once again, thank you so much. And it's been thank a you. pleasure. So thanks again to Rod Gilmore for agreeing to sit down on this podcast. Lots of great insights and information. And um, all of that is down in the show notes. So please check it out. Check out the foundation, the Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation. Donate. Stay tuned. Uh, follow uh, Rod Gilmore on Twitter. That's also down there in the show notes. Kind of keep up on what his thoughts and, and ideas around the world of sports. Um, as always, share this podcast with your friends, your family, and even your enemies. Visit our website at thevictorypodcast.com. Uh, there you can also visit our merch and Patreon page. Joining the Patreon will give you uh, exclusive access to content before the mainstream, as well as other great um, merchandise and information. Also, if you just want to buy some great merch that also supports this podcast. So in this episode, as I do every episode, every problem has a solution. It's whether you're willing to do the work to find it. Let's do the work and be victorious. Thank you.